Okay, our topic tonight, out of the book of Ezra, chapter 1, actually chapters 1 and 2, leaving Babylon, coming out of Babylon. And to get the full uh, concept of this, we're going to go back to 2 Chronicles, chapter 36, verse 18, the very end of 2 Chronicles. Nebuchadnezzar took to Babylon all the articles from the house of God, great and small. They burned it and broke down the walls of Jerusalem, and he carried away captives to Babylon, where they became servants until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath, as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath, to fulfill 70 years. So several things here we see is, is uh, the very end of Second Chronicles, and uh, we've covered now 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. So we did all of the kings. Uh, and so from King Saul down to the last king and down to the taking uh, forth of Babylon to Babylon. And that took us uh, over 10 years to do, uh, verse by verse, covering all the kings. But not only all the kings, all the prophets who lived during the time of those kings and all of the writings of any of those kings, like David writing the Psalms and, and Solomon writing the Proverbs. So it's been quite a journey. And so we're finished with that whole portion of history in the kings and now moving on until into the time of uh, post-Babylon. And so the carrying over text here, the very end of Second Chronicles. And he says here that we would be in, the, in Babylon uh, and, and where it became servants until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. And we saw in the book of Daniel that Medo-Persia comes and takes over Babylon and destroys Babylon and takes rulership over that. And this was to fulfill the word of the Lord by the prophet Jeremiah. And so Jeremiah mentions this, and here it's mentioned again in 2 Chronicles, that we would be in Babylon for 70 years so that the earth would receive its Sabbath. So obviously we weren't allowing the earth to lay fallow one every seven years. And so after, I guess, what would that be, 490 years, God said, well, I'm going to do it since you didn't do it. And so you're going to Babylon and the land is just going to lay there for 70 years to make up for it. And very similar to, we saw that as we looked at the text uh, regarding the thousand years, the, 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 what's known also as the millennium, that that thousand years giving the earth its ability to receive its Sabbath that we have not allowed it to experience for close to 6,000 years. And so going on to verse, uh, next verse, verse 20, and this now is the same verses as is in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. And so definite carryover here. Uh, some people believe that uh, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah were in separate books, but were actually were part of Chronicles and just continued on. Um, and then they got divided and someone, you know, put uh, the verse on either side just to make sure that uh, we'd see the, the, the connection between the two. So it says the same exact thing. Uh, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, at the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdom of the earth of the Lord God of heaven has given me. He has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. 
So when did God command Cyrus, Cyrus is saying this, that God, the God of Israel, has commanded me to build a house in Jerusalem? So when did God speak to Cyrus? Well, for that, we might be, we have to look at the book of Daniel. Uh, in the book of Daniel, Daniel has a very high position in Babylon. He's even at the last day put up into the third highest position as he's reading the handwriting on the wall, as the kingdom of Medo-Persia is on the outside, surrounding it in a siege, and inside they're feasting and having a party, and God writes on the wall, and Daniel is called and reads the writing. And then Medo-Persia takes over, and Daniel is again put in a high position in the Medo-Persian realm, and I believe that he had opportunity to then speak with Cyrus and open to him the word of God and show him the book of Jeremiah and say, look, it, our prophet Jeremiah wrote 70 years ago that we were going to be taken to, captive to Babylon and we were going to be here 70 years. And guess what, Cyrus? You know what year it is? It's the 70th year, Cyrus. And here God brought you and let you conquer the nation. And not only the book of Jeremiah, while we're doing a Bible study, let me show you another scroll. And he pulls out the scroll of Isaiah. And he begins to read from chapter 44, our modern day chapter 44, verse 24. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who makes all things. I stretch out the heavens all alone. I spread abroad the earth by myself. I am over it all. And I formed you from the womb. Now that certainly could apply to all of us, and it certainly does. But we're going to see it has even a closer application as we continue reading. Verse 26, who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of the, his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited, to the cities of Judah you shall be built. I will raise up her waste places. So to you, the one who I have known and created from the womb, I've called you to say to Jerusalem, be inhabited and to be built. And then verse 28, that says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built. To the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Now Isaiah wrote this over 150, close to 200 years prior to Daniel reading it to the king of Cyrus. How amazing that would be. Be standing there as Cyrus is reading his own name in a Jewish scroll written hundreds of years before he was born. I formed you from the womb, O Cyrus, and I have a calling upon you that you are going to say to Jerusalem, be built. You are going to say to the temple, the foundations be laid. Chapter 45, verse one, still the book of Isaiah. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, Mentioned by name twice, once called my shepherd. And that's what the name Cyrus means. And my anointed, which means my Messiah, 
my anointed one, who would prefigure the Messiah, who would be the shepherd of my people, who would be the good shepherd, who would deliver us from Babylon, and who would bring us to the promised land. Very powerful. How God is willing to use even a Cyrus and knows him by name and called him for a high purpose. And he knows each one of our names just as assuredly and even more so, I believe, than he knew Cyrus. And he has a calling upon each one of us just as he had a calling upon Cyrus. The text continues whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings. God certainly subdued nations before Cyrus and loosed the loins of kings when Cyrus comes into Babylon and the king of Babylon saw the handwriting on the wall, the book of Daniel tells us that his loins were loosed. And the king of Persia comes in and he sees the king of Babylon there with soiled pants. And Daniel is showing him a prophecy written hundreds of years in advance. To open before him the two-leaf gates and the gate shall not be shut that says to the deep be dry and I will dry up your rivers. And I could see Cyrus's eyes just popping out. Dry up the rivers, that's exactly how we got into Babylon. We dammed up the Euphrates River. We made a reservoir. We channeled the water there. And we marched our army in on dry ground. And the gates weren't locked. And we found them all drunk inside. And we went in and conquered in a night the huge city of Babylon, well-fortified city of Babylon. Conquered nations, scared kings. That's exactly what we did. And that's exactly what your prophet wrote about me. Amazing. Verse, Isaiah 45, verse 2. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by name, am the God of Israel. God calls each of us by name. He knows our name. He knows our life. He knows our circumstances. He knows what circumstances we were born under. He knows how we've lived. And he knows the plans that he has for us. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God beside me. I will gird you though you have not known me. God calling Cyrus 
mentioning his name twice, mentioning twice, I have called you by your name. I have created you. I have created all things. I've called you to this time in history for a purpose. Your destiny will be fulfilled as you follow what I command you to do. I command you to say to Jerusalem, be rebuilt. And again, just as surely as God called Cyrus, and even more so, as we know him, he knows us and has a calling for each of us to say to the people around us, come out of Babylon and prepare your journey to the promised land. What a loving God. I mean, God could have just done this. God could have just done it miraculously. He could have sent angels to do this. But instead, God worked through human prophets, through Jeremiah, through Isaiah, through Daniel. God worked through the king of Persia. And it wasn't easy, as we read in the book of Daniel. There was a major battle going on, a, a galactic battle behind the scenes between good angels and evil angels over the mind of Cyrus, whether to fulfill this and to follow through on this. There's a mighty battle taking place over our hearts and over our minds each and every day as well. And Satan tries to distract us from God's will being done in our lives. But God is almighty and he doesn't give up. Verse 13, still Isaiah 45, I have raised him up in righteousness. I will direct all his ways and he shall build my city and let my exiles go free. Not for price or reward, says the Lord of hosts. Just in case he had any thoughts of how, what can I extract from them for giving them their city and letting them go free. God tells him, no, 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 not for price, not for reward. But you will build my city and you will let my exiles go free. So a second exodus takes place. First out of Egypt and now out of Babylon. Back to our text in Ezra chapter 1 verse 3. And so Cyrus proclaimed, Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, with, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. So Cyrus follows through on what God commanded him, on what God called him to. Very well possible he would be in heaven. And hearing God's call, in obeying God's call, Hopefully he believed in this God and surrendered his heart to him. May we be as willing to let God use us and to fulfill his plan through us. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the, the men of his palace help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock beside the freewill offering, for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. 
So whoever wants to go to Jerusalem, go. Those who don't want to go, make sure you help them out and give them money and give them offerings and give them animals for their journey. Verse 5, the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the Kohanim and the Levites, with all whose spirit God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. All those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things, beside all that was willingly offered. So God moves upon people's hearts, and they say, this is it. Let's go home. And they begin the journey, and their neighbors give them silver and gold and livestock. And this begins the exodus out of Babylon. Verse 7, King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. Right? So remember we read in, in 2 Chronicles, Nebuchadnezzar took those items out of the temple before he destroyed the temple. And now Cyrus pulls them out and gives them back to us. He says, here, take these. You're going to need this. You're going to build your temple. You're going to need these to refurnish your temple. And so the menorahs and the altars and the Ark of the Covenant, although you know, I think that actually got left in Babylon. I think uh, tradition says it got hidden maybe by Jeremiah. But the other articles of furniture taken with them, back to Jerusalem. And this is the number of them, 30 gold platters, 29 knives, 30 gold basins, 1,000 silver platters, 410 silver basins with, of a similar kind, and 1,000 other articles. And all the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. All of these Zerubbabel took with him took with the captives who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. So they have all these articles and they begin their journey. Now you notice here it says, the number of them was 30 gold platters, 29 knives, and 30 gold basins. So they had serving for 30 and someone stole a knife. There's a knife missing somewhere. I might explain where some of my knives and forks and spoons from our set at home has disappeared too. I don't know where that went, but where those have gone. I don't know where that 30th knife went to, but originally they had a full set, no doubt. But it shows accurate counting. They gave them what they had. This is what we have. We don't know what happened to that knife, but this is what we have, and you can have it all. And he let it all go back to Jerusalem. And these are the people who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away to Babylon, and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his own city. Those who came with Zerubbabel were, and then it starts this list of names, goes on for verses and verses of all the, of the people who came back with Zerubbabel. Now, we're going to get more into Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel has his lineage back to the kings of Judah, back to King David. He's also listed in the line of the Messiah. 
And he plays an important role here in leading the people as we go back on this first ex, uh, traveling from Babylon. Actually, several end up taking place. And this is the first one. This takes place even before Ezra comes on the scene. Ezra is writing this after the fact. Later on, he's writing it historically for us. Ezra wasn't part of this first journey. But Zerubbabel was, and of those who came with Zerubbabel were Yeshua. The first name listed among those who joined Zerubbabel was Yeshua, a Kohanim of the tribe of Levi. Now it's not the Yeshua that we know, it's not the Yeshua who comes as the Messiah, but it's a person who has that same name. And I don't believe it's the same one, per se, but it is a reminder that the Lord travels with us. Wherever we go, and he was with these exiles as they were coming back, they were not alone. God had called them, God had called Cyrus, God had predicted this moment in time, and he was walking with them. He never leaves us, nor forsakes us. And as he calls us out of our Babylons, as he calls us out of our areas of distress, as he calls us out of our areas of bondage, as he calls us out of the habits that have held us, and he sets us free, he walks with us. He goes with us. He plans our past before us. He sets the time before us. And he walks us through. Through our trials, we'll see later on, not tonight, but we'll see, it's not easy for Zerubbabel. It's not easy for these people who go back, but he's with them anyway. He's with us in the good times and he's with us in the hard times. He stays with us. He walks with us. He was with us through the Holocaust. He was with us through the exile to Babylon. He was with us through our time in Egypt. He is with us through troubles, through difficulties, through joys, through celebrations. He remains with us always and forever. Then it, can, it goes on with the list all the way down to verse 40 and beyond, the Levites and the sons of Yeshua and uh, Kadmiel and the sons of Hudaviah, and there were 74 of them, and the singers, the sons of Asaph, 128 of them, and the sons of the gatekeepers, 139 in all. And then verse 58, and a whole list more of names I can't mention or pronounce, and the children of Solomon's servants were 392, and the whole assembly all the way down to verse 64. The whole assembly together was 42,360. Now, in research I tried to do, and what I found, at least one source said there was possibly a million Jewish people in Babylon at this point. Even if it was half of that, if it was a half a million, 42,000 is a very small number. Even if it was one quarter of that number, even if it was 250,000, 42,000 
is a pretty small number. And that is sad. Here the king is saying, I'm letting you go. Here the king is saying, I'm going to help you. I'm going to provide. I'm going to give you your temple items back. I'm encouraging the people in the land to give you silver and gold to take on your journey and animals. And only a small percentage chose to go. Now, after 70 years, I imagine many of them became discouraged of waiting. I imagine many of them had given up hope it was ever going to come. Many of those who had lived in Jerusalem, most of them had died off. Now you have a second and third and fourth generation born in Babylon, become accustomed to the land, accustomed to the people, accustomed to the customs, settle in, build a house, plant a garden, pick up a trade, start earning a living. And then everything happens so fast. Persia comes in, Babylon's taken over, and we're told we can go to Jerusalem. Seemingly overnight. Quite a shock. If the message of Jeremiah had not been continually taught, and maybe it wasn't, that we're only going to be here 70 years. Next year in Jerusalem. Right? Or maybe uh, every pastor, they say, 69 years in Jerusalem, <laughs> in 68 years, in 67 years, in 66 years, 65 years, and counting down 10 more years, five more years, until next year in Jerusalem. But how? The Babylonian king is not going to let us go. There's no way out. But God said, next year. We don't know how. And then God uses Persian Empire to come in and overnight take over Babylon. And everything changes. And the door is open for us to go back. I don't think we're any better than they are. I think many of us have lost hope in the Lord's return. Oh, we know about it. We teach about it. We hear about it. We think about it from time to time, but are we living like it? Are we living like it's dependent on our lives? Are we preparing? I was speaking with someone this week. He made it all the way to paradise. He was living in paradise. California. when the fires broke out. And he says, we escaped in our two vehicles, my wife driving behind me, and the smoke was so thick, I could only see the car in front of me. Thankfully, I could see the car in front of me. I couldn't see two cars in front of me, but I could see the car in front of me. The only thing that was not on fire was the road. The grass and the trees and the brush on either side of the road were a wall of fire. And the tree cover over us, we were going through a tunnel of fire. And 
And the only thing I could think of was I have everything I need. I have my Lord and I have my family. They made it through the fire, but their house and everything in it did not. He said, we learned to live, we've learned to live a lot simpler. Are we attached to the things of this world? Are we holding on to the things of this world? Are we willing to let go and let God? Are we preparing for heaven and are we preparing others? Are we reminding others that we're just passing through this place? Heaven, this place, is, earth is not our home. We're just sojourners in the land. We're foreigners in the land. Our citizenship is not here. Our hope is in heaven. And are we living and doing everything we can with our time, with our resources, with our abilities to hasten his coming and to bring other people with us? We're living in a country, probably percentage-wise, the most Bible-literate in the world, or give or take, one of. Surveys, probably one of the highest percentage professed to believe in the Bible. Surveys show high percentage. Still say they believe in the Bible. Numbers are going down dramatically, but still a high percentage. It also surveys show a high percentage, can't even name a few of the Ten Commandments. Can't even name a few of the books of the Bible. We're living in a Bible illiterate nation with Bibles all around us, thankfully still in, ho in hotels. And any store basically you'd want to get them. And online, you can download them for free onto your phone and tablet and computer. And yet not read, not known. In a country where professed Bible believers hang skeletons from trees outside their homes and dress their kids up as witches and warlocks. and spend almost as much, if not more, than any other holiday or celebration through the year. In this country, how much worse in other countries? Are we preparing for heaven? Are professed believers preparing for heaven? If we were called to make the journey now, would our numbers be any better than these? I think not. And I mean, it wasn't easy for them. We're going to heaven. Where were they going? To a land with weeds that have been growing for 70 years. Probably trees growing in the garden now. Trees growing up through where the temple was. You've got to cut down trees and cut down weeds and, 
and stones and, and dug up the stones that the soil and the sand has blown over. And enemies in the land. It wasn't an easy task at all. And to travel almost a thousand miles by foot to get there. It wasn't an easy journey. It wasn't an easy decision, humanly speaking. But if their faith was in God, if their faith was in the promises, if their faith was in the word of God, it's a no-brainer. But again, how much more so for us? We're going to an eternal promised land with mansions already built for us. With a temple already prepared for us, a new Jerusalem. We don't have to walk. We'll get to fly there. First class on the wings of eagles or angels. I believe it's because of this small number that the fulfillment of the prophecy in Ezekiel of a temple never came to pass. There's details, chapters on the dimensions, exact dimensions, detailed dimensions of what is the temple that should have been built, given to Ezekiel, written down, recorded, we still have it today, but was never built and will never be built. To the specifications that are listed there, with a prince coming and a prince offering sacrifices. But I believe that's what God designed, desired. And if all or a high percentage of those that were in exile and heard the call of Cyrus would have gone forth with the blueprints of Ezekiel, with the promise of Jeremiah, with the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah, with the encouragement of Daniel, led by Zerubbabel, and with Yeshua by their side, they would have been able to build Ezekiel's temple. And I believe the prince would have come to that temple and would have offered sacrifices and even offered himself as a sacrifice. And all of history would have been different. But they didn't. And all of history will be different today if we get serious right now tonight and allow the Holy Spirit to fill us as he filled 11 disciples and they turned the world upside down by God's grace. That same spirit is available to us in double portion manifestation. And God can use us, even us, to bring the gospel to the world. If we'll only let him. The choice is ours. God is willing. God is waiting. God has already provided everything we need. If we'll open our hearts and let the Holy Spirit come in.
Verse 68, some of the heads of the father's houses, when they came to the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, offered freely for the house of God to erect in its, play, in its place. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for the work 61,000 gold drachmas, 5,000 minions of silver, and 100 garments for the Kohanim. So not only did they give up their land and houses and whatever they had in Babylon and their careers, and travel a thousand miles, they also gave of what they had. God calls us to give of our time and of our resources. And but even that wasn't enough, as we'll see as we continue in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, books of. God calls us to give all, every aspect of our life. Everything belongs to him. Everything is his. Nothing is ours. I heard a story of a farmer that regularly returned tithes and offerings and, and his crops always did better than the other farmers. Every year he just had a bigger crop, made more, his, his crops sold for more, ended up with more per acre than the others. And they would ask him, how come every year, year after year after year, your crops always look better and they always give you more and you always end up with more per acre than we do? And he said, well, it's not my land, it's, it's the Lord's. And then one year there was locusts that came through, eating up field after field after field, and they came up to his field and they ate it all down. And they continued on field after field just eating away. And that week he was in town and the other farmers were there and they said to him, well, what happened to your field? How come it got eaten up like our field? How come God didn't protect you? How come he didn't protect your field? He said, you've been giving tithes and offerings to the Lord. How come he didn't protect you? How come he didn't protect your field? And he said, well, I'll remind you, it's not my field and it wasn't my crop. And if God wants to Feed his locust on, on his field, that's up to him. <laughs> it's not ours. It's the Lord's. And I believe that if everyone who professed to be a believer in this country and around the world was giving faithfully of what the scriptures tell us to give and return back to God, it's all his, to return back to God, faithful tithes and offerings, I believe this gospel would have gone to the world already. But because we hold back in our lives, in our actions, in our hearts, we're still here. When we can be experiencing so much more. When we can be experiencing heaven. And so the choice is ours. How much longer do we want to stay here? Scriptures talk about 144,000. I don't think that's a literal number, but it's representative. It's in Revelation, but I think it's demonstrating that it's a small number, among other things. That'll be ready. Yeshua said that the road to heaven is narrow and straight, and few there be that go therein. And the road to destruction is wide 
It's a broad way. Certainly Broadway fulfills that. And many there be that go that way to destruction. It's not going to be the masses, unfortunately. But we can make a decision tonight which road we want to be on. Which path we want to be on. And whether or not we want the Lord to use us in telling other people, leave Babylon. Come on the journey to the new Jerusalem. And so in a moment as we pray, if there's anything holding you in Babylon, if there's anything holding you to this world, I encourage you to let go of it. If something's coming to mind, a thing, a person, or Abraham, it might have been Isaac, willing to let go of anything and everything, in a moment when we pray, I'll invite you to surrender that to the Lord. Just give it over to him. And maybe he'll give it back to you just like he gave Isaac back to Abraham. And maybe not, but willingly surrender it and all. Secondly, maybe you don't know, but maybe you're willing to say, Lord, is there something that I'm holding on to that I don't even realize I'm holding on to something? Is there anything on this world, anything on this earth that's holding me down, that's holding me back? Causing me to drown under the, the weight, holding me under. Reveal it to me and give me the ability to let go. Then we can confess it. You can confess it, you know, in your own mind and heart between you and God. Let him remove it. Let him forgive you through the blood of Messiah. Let him set you free. To walk free in him. Thirdly, I was realizing God knows you by name, knew you before you were born, has created you and called you for his purpose, just as he called Cyrus. He wants to anoint you with his Holy Spirit and to use you in inviting other people to go back to, Babylon, back to Jerusalem, to the new Jerusalem. Then in a moment when we pray, you can ask God and hope to fill you with the Holy Spirit to use you in telling others and witnessing to others and ministering to others. Fourth, if you're on that journey, walking on that path, and you know of people that aren't, and you want to let God use you and taking them along and inviting them along and bringing them along. The moment when we pray, you can ask the Lord to go before you and to minister to those people, to soften their hearts and minds and to draw them and call them to walk with you as Yeshua walked with Zerubbabel, as 42,359 other people walked with Zerubbabel. That they'll join you on our walk towards heaven. And so if any of those areas apply to you or maybe something else is God speaking to your heart and mind about, as we come to the Lord in prayer, let him do his work. Cleansing, freeing, delivering us, filling us, empowering us, and using us for his honor and glory. Let's pray together.
Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name and we thank you for this message from your word. We're thankful that you knew Cyrus and you called him and wrote him down. Thank you for orchestrating the way Daniel was able to share that with him. He was able to see that. And that you moved upon his heart and mind and fought against the powers of the enemy to get him to set us free. Thank you for using him to pen that proclamation. And thank you for the 42,360 that took up that call and went. Lord, make us faithful. Forgive us for our sins. Deliver us from our attachments to this world. Through the sacrifice of your son. Thank you, Yeshua, for your death in our behalf. Thank you for forgiving us and cleansing us. Set us free. Battle against the forces of the enemy that are resisting and holding back. Give us generous hearts and willing hearts and open mouths and open hands to minister for you. Go before us and draw other people to come as well. Keep our eyes focused on the goal. Keep our feet on your path. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.